Hey everybody, it's Tony, your host here. Just want to invite you to head on over to tonyfletcher.substack.com and subscribe, if you will, so that you can get yourself a weekly newsletter full of news about this podcast, my other podcast, a Substack-only subscribers podcast that's launching in December 2023, and you'll get additional show notes for this episode and other episodes complete with pictures, links, and even video and music if need be. That's tonyfletcher.substack.com. And now on with the show. Kids all over the place are are playing computer games with incredible determination. And I need that determination to translate into fixing the climate. That's all. Welcome listeners to Season 2, Episode 18 of One Step Beyond, a show all about positively engaging with the world outside our door. And if we want to be able to do that, we need to positively make sure that we have a world outside our door that we can dare bear to step foot in and indeed can survive in. And uh, for this particular episode, I have the wonderful Hank Rogers here to tell us how we are going to do that. And I have called this episode Hank Rogers versus the world. And that's a little bit of a throwback. Actually, it's a complete throwback to a movie that uh, I watched several times with my kids, Scott Pilgrim versus the world, which, of course, is based in video games, which connects us back to the fact that Hank Rogers, if the name sounds familiar, and it may, is the man who brought the world Tetris. He didn't design the game, but that movie that was out last year called Tetris, funnily enough, was all about his story of going to Russia and going to Tokyo and going to various other places as well and making sure that a game that had been invented by somebody in Russia who didn't earn a penny from it got to be shared with the entire wide world. And Henk has now decided to spend the rest of his life as an environmentalist. And his first goal of four major, major uh, goals he has in his remaining years left with us is nothing less than to eliminate, not reduce, but eliminate our dependence or our usage, I should say, of carbon-based fuels, i.e., or to put it plainly, we are going to do away with the use of fossil fuels. Hank is somebody who gets stuff done. And if anybody was going to take on this project who's not a politician, I think Hank is as good a bet as any. And we're going to talk a little bit about Tetris, but we're going to mainly talk about the environmentalism. And I'm very, very, very happy to be doing that. Um, I do need to say that this is also the last episode of season two. I'm going to take a break and I'm not actually going to promise I'm going to be back. Um, I have had a hell of a run doing this show. Uh, We put out ton of episodes first time round, like 25 to 30. I took a break then to work on a book. Uh, I put out, uh, obviously, another 18 episodes in probably 18 to 20 months and had some amazing guests on here. I'm really, really proud of the body of work here. It's been a little all over the place um, under that uh, basic tagline, and that's been its strength. Um, it's probably also been something that probably, to be honest, holds the show back a little bit. The fact that I might talk to somebody who's, you know, doing, I don't know, off-piste skiing or somebody else who's doing rock climbing to combat um, addiction 
Uh, and then jump to somebody like Hank or my last guest, Patricia Sims, talking about um, talking about saving the elephants as well. And to the extent that these last couple of episodes have been on that tip, I think that just reflects where my mind is at and how I've kind of come on this journey where I started out uh, doing this four-part documentary series about climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ending up wanting to know that we will still be able to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in years to come. And um, I'm happy to go out on what I think is a really positive note because Hank's already had amazing success in Hawaii where he has lived much of his life and is bringing the um, the model that worked in Hawaii to other states in the US and to other nations as well. So it's all it's all a good, good, good thing. I have two other podcasts going these days. One of them's been going for a while. It's the Fanzine podcast, and it's excellent because it seems to have that market to itself. And the other one is a new one I'm doing for Substack um, subscribers with my friend Dan Epstein called Cross Channels, where we look at music from either side of the Atlantic and how it was received, you know, on both sides of the Atlantic. And as you might guess, these podcasts are largely, if not entirely, a labor of love. And there's only so many hours in the day. That's a part of it. I'll get to the other part of it after this interview because I'm feeling pretty buoyant about it. And I'm feeling really good about getting somebody as uh, as positive and goal-driven as Hank on this final episode. I don't think I want to take up too much more of your time right now. If you've been a loyal subscriber, I'm really, really grateful. There's a wealth of material, wealth of episodes in the archives here, which if you haven't heard uh, heard them, I really hope you'll get the chance to to get to. I will have links in the show notes, but it may just be a link to a Substack page where I can actually put up better images, videos, links to the other interviews that Hank's done, more links to his Blue Planet Alliance, Blue Planet Hawaii, the various group organizations he has going. With all of that, let me get going. It's Hank Rogers versus the world. It's one step beyond. Hank Rogers, I'd like to welcome you to One Step Beyond. How are you today? And can I ask where you are today? Because you do have a bit of an international background. I, uh, I'm doing fine. I'm at, the, at the moment, I'm in New York City. And uh, it, I spend a lot of time in New York, and I spend a lot of time in Hawaii these days. Right. And both of those are places you grew up, am I correct? Um, to if, some extent. If you can call what's happened to be growing up, then... <laughs> right and your name um people are bound to think of it initially as hank unless they know exactly who you are um is uh is that um dutch is that uh what it is yeah i'm originally uh born in the netherlands um it's a very very bog standard dutch name uh 11 years in holland eight years in new york city four years in hawaii 18 years in japan seven years in San Francisco, 18 years in Hawaii, two years in Seattle, and two years in New York. Yeah, you, you, that's fascinating. It. You started out moving west, and then you yeah. came back, kind of thought about it, yeah. moved around a bit. You may yet end up back in the Netherlands um, and completely the out and back of your life. I don't know. You've got a lot of work to do in New York first. Um, you are known, um, and you are known, you are known as the man who brought Tetris to the world. Um, 
I'm really here to talk to you a little bit about that because it's fun, but more so about um, your current endeavors, which I would consider, this is not your wording, but I would consider it nothing less than saving the world or at least saving humanity. Um, and as I say, caveat, that's my definition, not yours. But I thought for someone like yourself, who's got just such an extensive um, biography, CV, resume, and, and I did look at your LinkedIn page to get the, get the full list, I want to just um, see how you would introduce yourself. And let's just imagine, I know that you fly, um, you're at the airport, um, you're, you're, you're just kind of, it doesn't matter if you're in a, 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 a lounge, private lounge, or just at the public bar, you're watching a ball game with somebody, so it's non-political, um, and you're, you're vibing with them. Their plane gets called, and they say, look, I've got to go, but you're an interesting guy. We were just watching the game. Who are you? What do you do? But I do have to go. And he's literally like finishing his drink and oh. picking up his bag. So you've got like 30 seconds and you also don't know what this person does. They may be very helpful in your own life. So how do you how do you tell them your story in boom, 30 seconds? Uh, OK, so um, I'm a game designer slash entrepreneur turned into environmentalist. I'm, I have a, an organization called the Blue Planet Alliance, uh, and we are ending the use of carbon based fuel. And here is a marble for you to remember me by. And I give him a little marble, which is a blue planet, which I give to anybody that, uh, you know, that I'm getting close to. Well, talk about a good question. I had no idea. That sounds like it was a setup. I had no idea you do that. So if that if that person does approach you and ask you, you know, who are you? What do you do? You literally give them the little blue marble. Well, I, I don't give them dust to anyone, but uh, but sure, if I bond with somebody, yeah. and I've obviously bonded with this guy over drinks and a and yeah. a good football pitch or whatever match, yeah, that's yeah. that that's that's really really cool. One of the things I, I've uh, I, I listened to quite a few podcasts that you've been on and and discussions about this. Um, there, there, there were some very good ones. The story of Tetris itself, your, your, your business engagement is really well told on the How I Built This podcast with Guy Risby. That's a pretty well-known one. Yeah. But there was a shorter one as well about um, something about leaders. And I'll be sure to have the, um, the link here. It was a much shorter podcast. And I came away with a lot of really positive impressions of you. But maybe the number one was that you believe in being nice. And and there is a there is a tendency in a capitalist society to believe that nice guys finish last, and you emphasize that you believe in being nice to people. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know it's it, it it's funny because uh, you know I think get, being nice to people has has gotten me a huge amount of mileage in my my business career. You know I I'm I'm nice to people. I feel across the board. You know, if you go back in time, I, um, you know, I, I had medial jobs of sweeping, um, sweeping the halls in, in, in a building when I was a kid. Um, you know, that that kind of background means I respect anyone who does anything. And so this has happened to me a number of times where I was really nice to somebody who was like a lower person in a in a big company that turned into a big person in that company. And so, you know, like. There is no point in not being nice. This is the way I, I feel about it. Now, um, you know, if, if you look at at the the most 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 successful people in the world, 
and I, you measure them by, you know, how much money they've accumulated. Then I would say like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or Bill Gates, they're probably, you know, a lot more, how can I say, mm, not so nice. <laughs> and, and I don't, I don't know. Life is short. I'm, I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm trying to accomplish things, but at the same time, I'm, yeah, I'm living life. I'm living this life. And so, you know, I expect people to be nice to me, so I should be nice to them. All right. Straightforward. Uh, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Yeah. And I mentioned that I listened to a lot of interviews with you. I'm, I'm really here to, to talk primarily about the environmental aspect, but we have a little bit of time and, you know, Tetris is our way into that. So the, definitely that interview with Guy Risby is uh, excellent for anybody who wants to hear step by step how the whole story behind your success with Tetris and it's riveting. Um, it's really riveting and Guy had done his homework and sort of knew the next question, knew some of what took place. Um, I didn't watch the Tetris movie that came out last week. You have been very, I guess, blessed. Um, it's up to, up to you to say so to have your life depicted in a movie and played by Taron Egerton, which is no small thing. Um, I did watch the trailer, however, and uh, one reason I didn't watch it was I don't have the Apple subscription, but I, I was more 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 interested in the environmental aspect. But I watched the trailer, and it very quickly diverged from the story um, that you told Guy. And I am thinking that to some extent this must be Hollywood saying we need the action scenes, we need your life endangered for this movie to work. Is is that the case? How accurate is it? Hank? Yeah, that is definitely the case. Um, Alexei Pajdinov and I, the, the creator of Tetris and I, uh, we actually worked on the script. And, you know, we got to touch the stuff that was like the negotiations, that the, what does Moscow feel like? How would the KGB have behaved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What, what's going on with the Politburo? And um, yeah, Hollywood did take take over. And uh, <clears throat> so I to set the record straight, um, I've written a book um, that, you know, first of all, it started the beginning uh, and the end of the movie there, during that time period. Cause I was, gosh, it's like the, the, the real story is at least as interesting as the movie, hmm. you know, it's, it's like, I did go to the Soviet union on a tourist visa and I did go into a ministry where I was not supposed to, you know, talk to people. And I did all break all those rules and got away with it. So yeah, that all, that all happened. Um, but the book itself starts, you know, it, I've I've added the rest of my life to it, or my game career, I should say. Is that book out, or is it coming out? It is now looking for a publisher. Okay, right, right. So, I'm, I'd imagine you wouldn't have too hard a time finding an agent, but uh, yeah, that's okay. So that will tell the 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 real story. I mean, the movie looked like fun, but once I saw you being beaten up and. Uh, various other things that didn't come up in in the the business discussions that i listened to i figured that that was hollywood having fun with it yeah it, it's a it's a fun movie and you can subscribe to apple tv plus for a month get it for free and you can watch my movie which is you know and then there's a couple of other movies um and then there's of course ted lasso which you have to watch I I did my subscription to Apple TV for Ted Lasso. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Ted Lasso is a very inspirational figure because he also succeeds by being nice. And All right. 
and he kills he kills people with kindness you know he does it he does it that way he wins over his enemies with kindness and uh it's it was it's a wonderfully motivational series sadly finished but uh, but you're here to to tell us some ongoing uh some ongoing stories um you mentioned you you stayed friends with alexi which i think is important that's part of this sort of being being nice and i um, i i i know you and alexi keep in regular contact and uh you know, you've had a lot of success, of course, with Tetris. But what I understand is that your actual, your big payday came with um, a, a company you set up, if I'm right, it was called Blue Lava Mobile. Um, Blue Lava Wireless. Blue Lava Wireless, sorry, the wireless mobile, Blue Lava Wireless. And you kind of realized um, at the start of this century that people, uh, that there weren't companies in America making games for the mobile phone market and that this was a market waiting to be yeah, tapped. Um, three years later, you sold it for a hundred million dollars. Is that correct? Do I have that information correct? Yes, it's it's probably a little more than that, but yes. Wow. Um, you then went on because of something that happened to certainly put a decent chunk of that money into environmentalism. Um, but I do want to ask first. You mentioned the Elon Musk's, the Steve Jobs, etc um most people listening to this some people will be envious and wish they could have done that but a lot of people listening might say what kind of world do we live in when capitalism which you obviously didn't invent allows people to make that much money that quickly when so much of the population is starving how did how did we create such an unbalanced world is that a question you've you've asked yourself when you when you kind of hit that payday at all yeah all the time you know, I, I I look at the world and there are people in here that have taken so much money off the table, uh, you know, and, and it makes me look small compared to them. And and so how much is enough? That's the that's the question. And for me, the amount of money that I that I made is um how can I say it's given me the freedom to do the environmental stuff that I do. Um and so I I spend most of my time on on ending the use of carbon-based fuel, for example. So um, in that case, I feel that that it was a good thing that I made that money. Uh, otherwise, I would still be making more money or doing that kind of thing. Um, but uh, when you get to a point, and I and I understand that, like Bill Gates is giving it away in in a good way. He's 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 actually. How can I say? Turn his the second part of his life has become sort of doing good, which is great. It's, you know, it's great. Um, I yeah, I don't know about everybody else, um, and and there are problems in the world that need to be solved. Um, I need people that have taken you know serious amounts of money off the table to use that money and use their talent to fix the problems that they think are wrong with the world. I mean, that is why we should have the money. It shouldn't be so that we can sit on it and ruin our children's future with it. You know, that's, right. that's the wrong thing. It's, it, it's stupid to die with your money. You made it. You have to use it for something, you know, useful. Right. Now, you got that payday and literally a month afterwards and i i think i've heard you didn't even get to bank it i mean the deal had was probably in progress you had a near fatal heart attack 
Yeah, so I had a uh, 100% blockage of the Widowmaker. And, uh, and we figured that it was that when I was in the ambulance on the way to, to being taken for observation, I didn't feel good. And uh, I'm in the ambulance, the guy's been talking to me and all of a sudden uh, something hits the fan and the guy's now in the cockpit talking to the hospital saying, get the operating room ready. This guy is, you know, he didn't think I was going to survive. He actually came to me a couple of days later and said, I didn't think you would survive. And 95% of the people who have 100% blockage of the Widowmaker, the largest artery in your heart, die. And so I was the lucky 5%. And in that in that ambulance, the first thing I said is like, you got to be kidding me. I haven't spent any of the money yet. You know, <laughs> and I don't know who I was talking to, you know, whatever. But I was kind of like pissed off and say, like, that's wrong. That's just wrong. I've been working so hard. And finally, I made some money and now you're going to take me out. But the second second thing I thought was, no, I'm not going. I still have stuff to do. And those words were very clear. No, I am not going. I still have stuff to do. I thought that to myself. And so obviously I survived. And, and in the recovery room, I got to thinking, what did I mean by that? Because it was obviously I was like at the door of death and saying, no, I'm not going. I'm not going through this door. And... Um, so then I decided to work it backwards from the end of my life. What What is it that's going to piss me off if I didn't do something about it at the end of my life, the next one? And uh, so that's when I started looking for my missions in life. The first mission came to me in the back of the newspaper. It said, it says, Hawaii newspaper now. In the back of the Hawaii newspaper, it says, oh, by the way, we're going to kill all the coral in the world by the end of the century. I'm like, you idiots, what are you talking about? First of all, this is Hawaii. This should be front page news. <laughs> Coral is such an integral part of what any tropical island is. And it's like, what is causing that? It's it's carbon dioxide causing um, ocean acidification. I said, no, okay, well, that's it. Mission number one is to end the use of carbon-based fuel. Right. So you said so you said about that. Um, I want to ask, had you not gone through that near death experience and it, and it clearly was near near death. I mean, that 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 figure is frightening. You were among five percent. Actually, what I want to ask first, Hank, is do you believe you willed yourself to survive? Do you think there is a degree of just that human willpower that says, no, I am not checking out. It's too soon. I am going to beat this. I mean, can can yeah. Do you think you did? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay. I, um, you know, I was ready to hold my breath for 15 minutes or whatever. They're right. going to put me back. It was just, I knew it. And then, you know, you could you could have metaphysical things happening at that point where, I don't know, <laughs> you know, m maybe somebody from the other world is helping me at that point. I don't know. Uh, I, I I don't know about that stuff. Um but yeah, I made made up my mind. Yeah. And it's the same thing that the human race needs to do today about climate change. Right. We need to, we need to say, no, <laughs> we are not going. We still have stuff to do. We are going to survive this and we're going to fix this. And right. it's just mindset uh, of, of pure willpower at that point. And we are capable of doing this because we have done this before. We have 
we have survived world wars and and fought and died for you know for for this life that we have so uh, I mean, yeah yeah we absolutely can and we absolutely must and we absolutely will and one thing I really like about um, about you, Hank, uh, and one reason I wanted to talk to you is you're not only kind of clear and concise, but you are also very decisive. There's, it's not a halfway measure with you. It's it's we are going to do this. That's literally what you just said. And I think that has to be the way that you make a decision and then you figure out how to implement it. You don't go uh, you know, making these little too many little baby steps on something that's as catastrophic as this. You're talking about that that article being on the back page of a Hawaiian paper when obviously Hawaii is an island nation and that it should be front page news. And I I I, I think part of the problem we all face with, with climate change, let's call it the climate disaster, the climate crisis, because that's what it is, is that it's so continual and that the, the everything gets knocked off the front pages. So on a given day, like I can wake up yesterday and my New York Times, like yours, has a, a front cover about um, rains in California. And, you know, this is clearly a climate change thing. You are have spent a, a significant chunk of your life in Hawaii and we had the wildfires in, in Maui. And yet it's so continual that people feel um, sort of like helpless and also, I guess, fatigued at the same time and maybe that's you know like like we'll take it off the front pages like i you know some people might be saying look i drive an electric car take it off the front pages um but that's not going to fix things is it we, we it sort of has to be this continual front page news and i worry about the fact that too many of my own friends you know we, we all sort of shrug our shoulders to an extent it's like how do but what can we do? We're recycling. We're trying to do our best. A lot of my friends walk and drive electric cars and try and do their best, but they get overwhelmed by the bad news. I, you know, um, we each do our own part, and so um, I don't think your friends should feel bad that that you know because the front page news is bad news. Um, that is just some, uh, the way the news works. People want to hear the bad news, <laughs> and and. They, be, they become kind of like, what is even worse than that? What is even worse than that? What is even worse than that? And that's what makes the, makes the news. So you, uh, you kind of get bombarded by it. Um, but everybody needs to take their own little piece of responsibility in this. I'm, um, one of the things that I'm working on, it, because I'm a game designer, is an action app. Mm -hmm. And the action app basically gamifies taking environmental action. And so uh, we will give you a list of things to do. In the beginning, they're really small, like pick up a piece of rubbish, put in a rubbish can, or turn off a light switch in a room with no people. But as you play more and more, the, the AI figures out what you're most likely to do next and gives you, eventually you go up a level and you give you bigger things to do. And so um, my theory is that we can get people to do small things because when you do a bunch of small things, like I now have, as a result of this, by the way, I'm like anal about turning off lights when I leave a hotel room or or any office. I turn off all the lights, or if I see a piece of rubbish on the on on floor, I even in the bathroom in 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 the airplane, I'll pick up those little pieces of rubbish and put them in the rubbish can. Um, I think that those little things can become habit. And 
then they start adding up. If everybody has a habit to somehow use less carbon-based fuel, if everybody if that becomes a habit, then we we're talking about changing the world. You have decided to focus on the elimination, not the reduction, the elimination of carbon-based fuel, i.e., fossil fuels, um, on this planet. That 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 is your number one mission statement. I'm a, I'm aware that you actually came up with four, and we'll make sure we have time to discuss the others. Um, it, are fossil fuels the only uh, contributing factor to this climate crisis? The world hotting up the the. You know, the natural disasters going on everywhere and the fact that we are going to wipe ourselves out if we don't address this uh, it's it's the biggest one biggest one there are a number of other factors you know there's setting concrete releasing carbon dioxide there's there's cows emitting methane uh methane sorry <laughs> or i mean there's all these other sources of of carbon dioxide but i Rather than pick a small one, I decided to go after the biggest one first. And in, in Hawaii, the biggest use for carbon-based fuel when I got started <clears throat> was making electricity. At the time, we spent, Hawaii spent $2 billion a year on oil and a billion dollars of coal. That's $3 billion of fossil fuel every year for making electricity. That's a million and a half people. If you add the tourists, maybe it's two million. But it's a serious amount of, you know, per person, you know, oh my gosh. It's, it, it kind of feels like taxation without representation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hawaii's export is money. <laughs> we, we import, import uh, oil and coal and we export money. That's the biggest bit there. So yeah, if we can't, take on the biggest one, then the other ones are going to be, how can I say? Yeah, they're going to be hard. But um, the biggest one, we let, I just think, you know, if you're, if you're in a situation, you got four guys that are coming at you and you're, you're going to get beaten up. What you want to do is you want to take the biggest one and hit him the hardest first. So that sends a message to everybody else. Everybody might be shocked. But if you pick the biggest one first, now I'm not against I'm not like against the oil companies or the coal companies or the natural gas. They can do what they want. This is not about trying to eliminate the drug lords. The war on drugs has not worked. This is about about reducing or eliminating the demand. And when we reduce or eliminate the demand, the drug lords will get onto another business. Right. That's the way. That's the way I look at it, and it'll be a beneficial business. So there are a lot of um, indications that people who are in the energy business are now m moving in the direction of renewable energy, because after all, energy is energy. Right. Uh, you know. And also, I think it's fair to say, you know, capitalism wants to make money. So if it if if laws turn against it or public turns against their core business, they'll find another business. Um, and, and I would use a sort of Philip Morris as an example of that when they are, and, and I'm not, I, I have no support for Philip Morris, but, but you know, with, with cigarettes being, uh, I guess, just generally frowned upon these days, they moved into food in a very, very big way. Now, I'm not saying they're doing good things with food. I'm just saying that they, they eventually 
read the writing on the wall and said we need to make sure we make money in other in other ways so i know that uh, utility companies can do that i am really fascinated by how you got this off the ground in hawaii because my understanding is and it would make sense you go to the utility company and say this is crazy look at these figures in hawaii we're spending all this money and of course island nations um and i'll treat hawaii as a nation here uh you know you don't tend to have much in by way of fossil fuels so you're important it to begin with and you're also my son the the one in video games latched onto this straight away uh when i said you're doing your work with with islands primarily he said yeah they have to import their fuel and they um they have massive renewable resources and they're the ones who suffer from climate change first with the rising sea levels so all of that would be applicable in hawaii um, I take it that the utility company didn't didn't quite see it that way when you first spoke to them. Absolutely not. What are you talking about? This is how we make electricity. You know, everything else, uh, all the all the others um, that you talk about are, are intermittent sources. You know, meaning they like wind and solar go on and off. How can we build a grid that that runs on that when the, when the power source goes on and off? And so, you know, they, they perceived themselves as being in the business of providing electricity 24-7. And their business model was they got to make 10% on the price of oil. Mm-hmm. Now, who uh, invented that particular uh, business model <laughs> should, be, should be shot. <laughs> but, but because... It means that the electric company is happy when the price of oil goes up because they make more money. It just makes no sense. Um, so we changed the business model of the utility. And the business model, today, they make more money by switching to renewables. How and- did how did you change? I've heard you talk about those figures a couple of times. And that 10%, of course, we, we suffer from this where I am in the Hudson Valley where um, utility companies have monopolies and prices, you know, people are just so fed up with central Hudson. I mean, it's just, it, it has been utterly outrageous. Um, how were you, well, well, the thing I would like to get to first, so you've been able to change the business model, but when they weren't interested, what I gather is you got the public on your side and the best way to get the public on your side with the environment is to deal with the future generation. So, you know, the, the young generation is, is that a correct interpretation? That is a very correct interpretation. So we, uh, when we figured out that we weren't go- moving the governor or the politicians, that's okay. Now we have to get the people on our side, and you get to the people through their children. So we had uh, elementary school children go door to door and exchange three hundred thousand light bulbs, and in so doing, have a conversation with the homeowner, saying this light bulb will save you money. And it will reduce your electric consumption by 90%. And it will help my future vis-a-vis climate change. So that's one. The other one that we did is junior high school kids. We we brought them out and gave them chalk. And, and we drew on sidewalks where high tide would be in a one meter rise in sea level. And that that is that was like amazing. And we were all over television and people could see this chalk everywhere in Hawaii and Waikiki underwater mm-hmm. during high tide. So, I mean, that was kind of like, oh my gosh, this is something that is really happening. And one meter is the minimum, the minimum sea level rise predicted by the IPCC. It's the difference 
that cold water uh, and warm water, warm water, uh, it takes up more space than cold water does. So if you warm up the ocean, the ocean takes up more space. Right. Would New York City go underwater with a meter, by the way? Uh, bits of it. But, you know, because it's so such a concentration of wealth, you can just build a wall and they will. Right. Okay. But theoretically, the same could happen. And Hawaii, for all the uh, tourist image, and I love Hawaii. I, I really do. I've been there three times. Um, and I recognize the imprints that tourists make. That's not really this discussion, but even recognizing that I do love Hawaii and, and it suffered in its own way with those wildfires on Maui, uh, where, I, where I've been to Maui three times. And uh, so I, I, I feel that and I, I recognize that. The importance of engaging youth. Um, you were using, you were saying the we, what is, what is the we? It was like you and whose army was able to do this? Um, so I started an organization um, in Hawaii called the Blue Planet Foundation. And so it was that organization. And basically I I hired the top guy from the Sierra Club and we made a plan about how we're gonna flip Hawaii to become 100% renewable energy. So after we got the the kids involved, we got, we, we, we got the movement going and, uh, you know, we, we lobbied and lobbied and lobbied. Um, and the, the people that were lobbying on the other side were the, the, the uh, utility lobbyists. Uh, we, had the, we had a little bit of an advantage in that the utility, while it was the biggest company in Hawaii, was also the most hated company in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, that would be applicable here as well with Central Hudson. Happy to uh, call them out a second time. <laughs> so, and it's and and so they they need to uh, do something to be nice. Anyway, so anyway, we we um, we passed uh, a law in Hawaii that says Hawaii has to go a hundred percent renewable energy by twenty forty five. Now you say, first of all, twenty forty five. That's a long way off. Um, but from the viewpoint of the electric company, it's really not that long, long, not such a long way off. And uh, this, the, the, the real impact of that is that they can't build a new fossil fuel power plant anytime ever again, because that power plant will still not have made its money back in 2045. So that's basically drawing a line in the sand. And uh, last year, we shut down the last coal-fired power, power plant. So that has eliminated all coal. And then we passed another law saying, never again will Hawaii use coal to make electricity. So, I mean, you, you take a little bit of beachhead and then you take a little bit more and take a little bit more until you've solved the problem. Right. And what I what I um, also understand is you were able to incentivize this utility company and show them that they could make more uh, potentially more money from renewables. And after telling you we can't do it, we can't do it, this is impossible, they've actually brought forward their own their own goals. Well, uh, you, you've actually proven and they've proven it can be done. First of all, six months after we passed the legislation, they came out and publicly said we actually looked at it and that would be the first time they actually bothered looking at it. Uh, and we can do this by 2040 which was like, all right, this is what the date that we were fighting for, for Christ's mm -hmm. sake. Yeah, we can do this. We can do it by 2040, uh, first of all. Second of all, um, you know, we worked with the Public Utilities Commission and, and the, law, the, the uh, legislators, 
and actually change their business model from 10% on the price of oil to when you do a little bit of calculation here. So um, the utility pays about, you know, of course it fluctuates 25 cents per kilowatt hour for oil. So that means at 10%, they're making two and a half cents. Mm -hmm. Then they, um, in their new business model, they are uh, doing uh, power purchase agreements. So they, they ask other companies to build solar and wind and they buy the solar and wind power from, from them. So the solar and wind is coming in at $0.08 cents per kilowatt hour. Mm -hmm. And if you add storage, batteries, it's up to $0.12 cents per kilowatt hour. That's still half, half the cost of oil. So instead of making $0.02 cents on $0.25, let's just say you guys can make $0.03 cents on $0.12. Cents. You're making more profit. Okay, that's how you did it. I was following along, trying to follow along on a couple of other interviews, and I got a little lost on that, probably just just not completely focused the way I am now. So rather than saying, hey, you can still charge people the same amount of money, because that, that that's unfair, because it's half the cost. Um, you're saying you can actually increase your profits and reduce people's bills. And then everybody loves you instead of hating you. And and you know we're reducing eliminating by 2040 carbon emissions um oh so well the use of the use of fossil fuels i should say um so everybody can come out of this happy and we're making change yes great now that's a that's that's an incredible story i think involving the kids is 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 utterly crucial and i know i, I mean anybody who understands your story with tetris realizes that you don't easily take no for an answer and you know, when you get the bit between your teeth, you're, you're, you're very committed to a goal. So uh, kudos, congratulations, and, and thank you. How does that then trans, transfer, translate to other states in the USA and other countries? Uh, do we have other states that have followed Hawaii's example? Yes. So 13 other states have adopted our same legislation, including California, Illinois, and New York. So if we add up the populations of all the states that have committed, um, we are now past 50% of the population of the U.S. with a commitment to go 100%. Um, and that's, so that movement seems to be going well. And the, the idea being that you started in one place and everybody looks, wow, they did that. We can do that. And it moves across. But it, it, it really didn't translate to the rest of the world. So we want we want to, as our next effort, which is why I moved to New York, is to be close to other countries. Um, we started the Blue Planet Alliance, and the Blue Planet Alliance is doing what we did in Hawaii and then the rest of the states to island countries and then the rest of the countries. So we're starting with island countries. And um, what we do is we we have this, pro, uh, this pr uh, program called Gale. We, we do the groundwork, figuring out the most likely to see succeed because we want to get the biggest bang for our buck. Uh, then we do an agreement. We, we do an agreement with the head of that jurisdiction. So we've got agreements with Palau, Tonga, Tuvalu, Guam, and, uh, and now Curacao. I mean, it's a like, weird group. But anyway, what, we what, what the agreement says is that we agree to work together to achieve 100% renewable energy in your jurisdiction by uh, 2045 or whatever date they, they so choose. 
and 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 uh, thank you very much. Now you are part of the um, Blue Planet Alliance, and we will work together to help other countries do the same. Um, the the next is L, which is uh, legislation. This is very nice for a head of state to have an executive decision that we're going to do blah by such and such a date. But what happens when he's replaced by another person? And then that that whatever he decides or she decides can can be put by the wayside. So it has to be made into a law by the legislature, like we did in Hawaii. That's when we really feel that's that's our goal is to have legislation in each jurisdiction of 100% renewable ener energy by 2045 or sooner. Right. Um, so to use the 13 states in the USA, uh, have they all passed that legislation? Is it now law in New York? Is, yes. is that now law? Yes. Right. And do you feel, um, as somebody that I know, we we you know, it, we talk about the Paris Accord and its implementation, and that a goal is different than a sort of decision, and that the the you know the, the the nations are not reaching the goal that they agreed at the Paris Accord? Are you seeing these American states actually reaching their goal? Are they are they are they working on this promise? They passed the legislation. Um, are we going to see the results? Is it going to happen in New York the way that you've managed to make it work in Hawaii? Um, yeah, I think it will. Um, <clears throat> the Paris Agreement, first of all, uh, the Paris Agreement has no teeth. It, it doesn't go far enough and nobody's on track. And and why is that? It's because it's just a bunch of people that got together and said, yeah, we're going to do this without actually, I don't know, without there being a real plan or uh, consequences if they don't follow the plan or or any of that. So the United Nations in general doesn't have the power to enforce anything. That is the that is the problem. Um, the The good thing about the United Nations is they're able to generate the IPCC, the I mean that which is amazing. Absolutely, what the world needs is all the scientists to get together and tell us what the truth is about climate change. That's that's absolutely necessary. Um, we at the United Nations, we have the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, which is very nice, and they're going to end in 2030. I would like the next 15 years to be the Regenerative Development Goals. It's where we put back everything that we've taken from nature and fix everything that we've broken. Then we can be sustainable. We can't be sustainable now. We we have to stop. <laughs> we have to stop doing all the stuff that makes us honest. Un we're just not going to get there if that's the way we go about it. We have to, we have to, we have to take the carbon dioxide back out of the uh, out of the atmosphere. We have to remove the plastic from the ocean. We have the technology to do all this stuff. We just have to have the willpower. And talking of the willpower, are you self-educated on this environmental aspect, um, just like you kind of were on on gaming and business? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't go to school for this. No. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you, this is a slightly different question, but I think it's relevant. You're 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 a pretty amazing person, if I may say so. And I do sometimes find myself just wondering, like your 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 background, as far as I understand, doesn't suggest you were set up for this. Do do, do some people just get born with certain genes and certain like uh, energy and 
like determination that i mean i know you've got siblings uh is your whole family like this or did you just kind of like get some kind of genetic lottery as far as you know i don't i don't know whether it's it's uh genetics or or environment uh, environmental i you know i but you can see the, the the determination in other people all the time you know this kid that recently quote unquote beat tetris mm. now, how much determination was that that was like incredible determination and kids all over the place are are playing computer games with incredible determination and i need that determination to translate into fixing the climate that's all you know, there's there. Not everybody is determined all the time, but there are times when people get very determined. You know, sometimes they get pissed off. Sometimes they, um, I don't know, they they, I don't know, they get the desire, and and uh, I think everybody has that has that ability. Um, most people don't just don't lean into it. Right. Do you think you would have done this regardless if you hadn't had your heart attack? That's a hard question to answer. Um, I don't know the answer to that uh, question. I don't know. I might still be trying to make money or that kind of thing. I don't, it's hard to figure out when to make the switch. When is enough enough? You know, um, that's, that is a, that's a real question. Um, and you can tell by certain people who have made like way more money than they'll ever be able to spend in their entire lives or in the entire lives of their multitude of offspring um so when is enough enough when do you it, go you know yeah there, there have been studies on that and and um you know from what i understand people with what we might maybe call just a sort of middle class income if they have enough to pay the bills with enough a little bit left over uh, from what I understand from the studies are happier than those people who have millions and millions and millions, but partly because they don't have the problems of, <laughs> of some of those things. Um, you know, it, it, it's an, it's an interesting aspect. Um, with the time that we have left, uh, this is not your only mission that you set about on. Um, do you want to give us, uh, do you, do you feel you can run through the others? I can run through the others uh, there. I, I really don't spend time on the others. Um, you know, I was very ambitious. I was thinking I have four kids. I need four missions. <laughs> but, but this the first mission takes up all my time. The second mission, which, uh, you know, harks back to my days in high school, when we protested against the war in Vietnam, um, we spend a tremendous amount of money and a tremendous amount of lives and suffering on war so um mission number two is to end war and um, mission number three is to make a backup of life by going to other planets and this is not uh just in case scenario this is a scenario of nature has survived or survives in every ecosystem that you can imagine on this planet but she has not and I call her Mother Nature, she has never gone off planet and established a beachhead anywhere else. So Mother Nature is pregnant. We are it. So all these things about us going to other planets with rockets and all that, that's all about taking Mother Nature to all those places because all we have to do is go somewhere else, uh, throw out the garbage, and then there will be DNA on that planet, basically. 
Um, and I'm not saying that it's it's you know a planet in our solar system because they're pretty inhospitable. But we have to look beyond, and we will develop the technology to go farther than the edge of our solar system. It's just a matter of time. Um, and then the last one is to, uh, <laughs> and I don't know why I have this one, is is to find out how the universe ends and do something about it. And uh, it's, it's uh, I don't know why I have this one, but it just, I think to put everything else in perspective, you know, because the the other missions, they seem like they're so huge, you know, but actually in the scope of things, they're tiny. Anything that happens on this planet is by definition tiny. And so um, I'm, how can I say, I have that mission. I haven't, um, I've tried to get rid of it, but no, it follows me around. Um, in fact, I had uh, dinner last night with Alexei Pajanov and and uh, a cosmologist friend, mm-hmm. and so we're talking about the universe. So I, I, I actually do spend every once in a while a dinner uh, trying to figure this one out. Right. I do want to just quickly ask: the backup of life might sound like you've got a fatalistic approach towards um, climate crisis that humans might be wiped out by. By our failure to address climate crisis, is it is it down to that, or are there other external factors that we need to consider um, that could wipe out the human race? No, I, it's not about the human race <clears throat> being wiped out. Although it could happen, you know, like we are we are a small dot in in space, and stuff happens. You know, stars go supernova and send radiation, or big rocks come flying in in from space, et cetera, et cetera. The dinosaurs went away mm-hmm. at 65 million years ago. That's in the scope of things, uh, four and a half billion year history. That's not that long ago. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. It, it could happen again. And if that exact same thing happened today, that would be the end of us. I mean, we would not have food <laughs> let alone all of all of the the direct damage so um <clears throat> there is even though it's a really small and i'm i've got to say this i'm on the same page with elon musk on this one is that the 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 chance that we get wiped out is small it could be infinitesimally small but it's not zero and why should we take a chance on that and if we are, if we have a second planet, that chance of us getting wiped out, of, mother, of nature getting wiped out, goes down to zero. Right. The way you said that implies that, um, that there are there are things with about Elon Musk that you don't agree with. Do you have to work with him with his SpaceX company or anything to, to imagine? You know, I was asked uh, by Huffington Post once, "Who's my hero?" And it's um, I said Elon Musk. Why? He has planet-sized dreams and he has planet-sized balls to carry them out with. So, yes, that's all cool. Um, but then when he gets involved in politics or his, his whole foray on uh, on Twitter, you know, that that is sort of, how can I say, power and money going to his head. And, you know, I, he's brilliant for what he does and what he what he's done. Hat, hats off to him but i think he needs to i don't know he needs to to like not wander off into 
um, what's the word? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I can't understand his, his, uh, his desire to be like the smartest person in the world by taking everybody on, on, on social media. Right. Okay. Fairly, fairly said. It's not like I want to uh, give up the last couple of minutes we've got here on, on, on uh, that, 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 that man. I will say I got off Twitter the moment that he took it over and I don't regret doing so. I, I also caveat, I have a presence there, but it's, it's a pinned post saying I'm no longer on Twitter. So, um, you know, uh, uh, <clears throat> I would sooner be talking to you really about about making these uh, these very 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 real changes. One other change you made in your life, I do believe you're vegetarian, and you talked about the methane. Can you just share with us why uh, that is an important aspect of environmentalism and and even the emissions issue? I'm not a strict vegetarian, um, so I don't eat uh, beef uh, because of the methane footprint of that of that whole industry. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I don't suffer as a result of it. Um, I will every once in a while do pork and, and chicken, which are much more environmentally friendly sources of meat. Um, fish of course is the, is the most environmentally friendly, you know, uh, a fish can, can, uh, become a fish by eating one and a half, it, times its body weight in food. And that's because it doesn't have to defy gravity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All of the other land-based animals have to, you know, fight gravity to move around and fish don't, they can just float, whatever. Mm -hmm. So, um, but then overfishing is an issue. And so the answer to that is fish farming. And I went into fish farm, 51% of the fish that we eat now is fish farmed, by the way. But we still trawl and and uh, to make fish food for fish farms 30 percent of what we take out of the ocean goes to feed fish in fish farms so yeah. we also trawl and and pick up um everything from dolphins to all kinds of things that 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 you know the the i think the problem we have here is the industrial agriculture industry the the is is such that we chop down the rainforest to graze cows it's not about a hunter gatherer who uh, brings down an elephant or or a buffalo or a whale to utilize every last aspect of that to survive it's about a society that's that destroys the planet to to bring us bad food essentially that's you know that's that's the problem that we've created and i think it's the same with with fossil fuels uh you know maybe people originally figured out oh let's see that thing called coal apparently we can burn that and it keeps us warm it's it's a better version of a stick but the problem becomes when you when you decide to you know mine the world and you're you're burning so much of it that you're destroying the atmosphere you know these are the problems we have created for ourselves if you go back in time uh, internal combustion replaced uh, the horse. And that was a 20x improvement over things because horse produced methane. And so if everybody in the world was riding horses today, the problem would be 20 times worse. But we managed to move in the right direction. And, and I, you know, I lived in New York when I was in high school. And I remember clearly that if, if it snowed like an hour later, the, the snow would be black from soot, from uh, burning bunker oil to make uh, to make heat. And that's gone away. So, I mean, there's improvement. Cars have, have gotten better. Um, 
public transportation has improved. And so there are signs that we can do this. And there are a lot of places where we've already achieved 100% renewable energy, for example, like, like Iceland. Um, and so we can go to all these places and, and see how, how they did it. And we can do it in the rest of the world. There's no big secret. It's no, just a matter no. of getting it done. Absolutely. And and it's worth noting, I did an interview a couple of years, about three years back with a woman, a wonderful woman who set up Africa's first um, sporting shoe company, first running shoe company, very environmentally friendly um, and uh, kind of partly worker owned. I mean, they're really trying to do the right thing. They're based in Kenya, which has 70 to 80 percent renewable energy, I understand. Um, you know, a lot of Africa, of course, has sunshine, has arguably more than it more than it should have. Um so I, I think sometimes we think, well, you know, we've got to set the example. I'm just making a, 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 a point that I think there are other countries you mentioned in Iceland, but there are countries you know, in Africa that, that have way more renewable energy coming their way than we have done in the USA or the UK or other so-called developed countries. Yeah, so it's not just solar and it's not just wind, but Kenya has got geothermal Mm -hmm. And they sent people to Iceland to learn about geothermal, and they did it in their own country. Geothermal is baseload. That's a word that means that it produces energy 24-7, no matter what. And so baseload energy is much easier to deal with than intermittent energy. And so any place in the world that has geothermal should develop geothermal energy. And any place that doesn't, should be able to get the hydrogen produced at geothermal places that have geothermal. I mean, that to me is the solution for the future. You know, there's so much energy underground anywhere in the world. And it's been, I mean, this, this planet hasn't cooled down. It's still, you know, look at all the volcanic activity and all, and all of that. That's all evidence that there's a tremendous amount of heat down there. All we have to do is take the drilling technology, send something cold down, down, get something hot back, and then get the difference, use the difference in the temperature for electricity. Right. And I was actually, um, I visited Costa Rica last, last year, uh, first new country in a, in, in a while, and saw that uh, Rincon de la Valleja, the, um, uh, which is a, a national park and it's a volcano up in the north of the country. They have that geothermal. They're very proud of it. And they're perfectly proud to have the pipeline sort of above ground so that people can see what they're doing as you approach the park. So you can see that happening in, di in different places. I know there's a lot more we could discuss. Um, I want to sort of be able to ask just about the, the sort of guarded optimism. On one hand, I want you to be able to tell me as I think you kind of implied, you know, we are going to do this. And at the same time, I don't want to end up with me feeling off the hook or listeners feeling off the hook about the fact that we, it's all of our responsibility to do it. We can't leave it to you. And, um, you know, the people that you've got working for you, it, it's like we can do it and we have to do it, but we also all need to do it. Is there a way you can kind of put that into better words? <laughs> I, I always say we are doing this. That's my that's my catch line. We are doing this, you know. And, and I'm uh, I was asked to speak at a conference of engineers and scientists in Korea, and I'll be be speaking at MIT. And and when I speak to these people, I said, "You guys got us into this. It's up to you to get us out." 
you know, go invent something, go figure it out, whatever it takes. You know, this, this is really on you. I hate to say this, but it's on you. It's actually on all of us. And uh, people always ask me if I have hope. And this is my favorite line. It says, no, I do not have hope. I have determination. That's it. We just need to be determined that we're going to survive this. We need to be determined that we're going to make it to the hospital to have that operation and become part of the 5%. We need to have that determination. That's it. That is, and that that is, and would be a wonderful way to end it. I, while we've been talking, I've come up with what I hope is a fun question, and I, I I hope one that you may have asked yourself. Going back on a personal level, you've been lucky enough to have uh, have yourself portrayed in a movie, uh, Taron Egerton, uh, but that's the Tetris story. We, let's say we have the determination. We're going to succeed. We'll end on a good note. And uh, while you're still here on the planet, they say, Hank, you did such an amazing job that we want to tell the story about uh, how we eliminated fossil fuels. Who gets to play you? Who gets to play older, Hank? <laughs> Who gets to play older, Hank? You know, there had to be somebody younger that's going to be old. So that was the, the, the whole thing. They, choosing Edgerton was about finding somebody who was like 35 because I was 35 at the time. So now I'm somebody. Wow. Um, <laughs> I'll hit you with a question you haven't been asked before, haven't I? <laughs> George Clooney. How about that? Who wouldn't want George Clooney playing themselves? Uh, that's a that's a lovely way. That's a lovely way to end it. I you obviously have uh, work to do. W one thing I appreciate is that you understand the importance of getting the message out and. Uh, I think you're excellent at getting this message out. And that's why I wanted to speak to you. It's not just about having the ideas, um, the intelligence, whatever it may be, the, the, even the determination. I think uh, it's being able to articulate those ideas in a way that we can all understand. And and I think that's a really, really important aspect. And so I, I want to thank you for your time. I, I want to agree we are going to do this. We have to be determined to do it and that you've helped show us a way to do it. And it's uh, um you know, it's up to us to to make sure our legislators follow through on it. And uh, if there's a last thing that anybody just says, "Hey, hey, I'm motivated. What what can I do?" I, I'll link to websites. Is that is that enough? Can people join the Blue Planet Alliance, or what what would you ask them to do? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Our our uh, our website is uh, blueplanetalliance.org. Blueplanetalliance.org. Um, we need all the help we can get. This is an alliance. And and at the end of the day, everybody in the world is going to be part of the alliance. Now, at first it's in it's NGOs, uh, and next it's 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 countries or cities or you know uh, jurisdictions, but at the end of the day, it's going to be people. They're going to be part of this alliance because we're doing this. We're absolutely doing this. Thank you, Hank. Thank you. I really trust that that conversation was as invigorating for you to listen to as it was for me to participate in. I felt uh, so good about having that conversation with Hank and so inspired. 
uh, but not inspired to complacency. It's really important that we don't just say, hey, Hank, Hank Rogers is going to fix the world. We don't have to do anything. And our doing something is a lot more than uh, the things that Hank mentioned that are useful that we do in our daily lives. Uh, but a lot of it means talking to legislators. Uh, it means actually sort of taking some direct action where need be. It means understanding the extent of the crisis that we are in and um, committing ourselves to doing something about it because as Hank points out we are pretty remarkable people and if we can be launching spaceships left right and center and we went to the moon you know what was it now well over 50 years ago we can fix this crisis but it requires that same kind of determination again visit tonyfletcher.substack.com for all the notes on this episode and, you know, with regard to this being the final episode of this season and possibly the final episode for good, um, that last aspect will depend on me taking a little bit of a break with uh, these other two shows going on and a lot of work. And, you know, just giving some thought, I think that the strength of this show has always been that it jumps all over the place. It has that tagline. Uh, positively engaging with the world outside our door. But I have had you know conversations with people walking across India with uh, a girl I'd met from a children's home in Kathmandu who was able to come to America to study you know the success of somebody who set up what some people would call an orphanage there. I've done that documentary about Kilimanjaro. I talked to the woman who started the Kenya, well, actually all of Africa's first performance shoe company. And that's a very environmentally uh, conscious company. Um, I've talked to one of the founders of um, an organization that was really trying to raise uh, women's rights within soccer, which has seen a lot of results, excuse the pun, in more recent years, but was uh, she was fighting the good fight decades back. Uh, God, so many things. My friend Mike Peters battling against his uh, leukemia and, and then um, raising money uh, and awareness um, and getting um, you know cancer treatment centers built in places like Nepal and Tanzania. Uh, it's a bunch of incredible things, but of course they don't all hang on one thread. I've had Matt Fitzgerald, who was in the New York Times just the other week, uh, about his long COVID, which unfortunately he's still suffering from. We called that one the joy of exercise. We've had episodes about barefoot hiking, about, um, you know, like like hiking free of technology, just trusting your uh, your instincts and your inner compass. Oh, my gosh. We've done um, rock climbing as a way out of addiction. I've done backcountry skiing. I've done a number of episodes about running, including one I'm very proud of with Damon Hall, uh, a Brit who is a top ultra runner, but also an environmentalist and uh, wrote the book, We Can't Run Away From This, which is about runners contributing to the damage of the environment. So I guess that while that is its strength, and I listed all of those because those are just some of the episodes I'd love you to visit if you haven't heard them already. It's also a little bit the show's weakness. By jumping all over the place like this, it can be a little hard to pin down and know what your audience is. And, um, you know, we've had some episodes that have had incredible listening figures and some that, that haven't. And some of the former comes around just because some people have massive social media followings. Other people don't. 
I just uh, I just feel that if I do come back with one step beyond and want to carry on using the name and the goodwill it's it's uh, it's it's being able to create for itself, I'd like it to be focused, um, you know, in one particular area. I think uh, that would just make more sense. But for now, I'm going to take that break. And I feel like I should just say thanks to a few people on the way out here. Uh, Mark Lerner uh, designed both the logos that I've used. You tended to hear a lot of music from my very talented young son Noel Fletcher whose um, instrumental recording that was used in this show revealed in his nature I think he recorded that when he was 11 or 12 it was pretty remarkable you also heard music there by the dear boys which is my own band and um, I wanted to definitely thank people that helped set up interviews uh, along the way um, too many of them to mention but Lance Gould set up the last two interviews for these last two episodes so major shout outs to everybody everybody who's listened down the line thank you so very very much it's been a blast I I look on this as I've been able to talk to people I wouldn't otherwise talk to. I would only sort of passively listen or consume what it is they've done. I've been able to literally get up close or as close as you can sometimes on a Zoom call, ask them the hard questions, ask them the questions I wanted to hear answers to, have a conversation and actually create a few uh, friendships along the way. Uh, With that, I'm going to say goodbye for now and maybe for long and thanks for being on board get outside enjoy life do your part protect the planet peace (laughs) 